Hey, welcome to Access. John here. This Friday, we're hosting a project graduation for the graduating senior class of Rungi, and we need some support. So we need adult chaperones who are willing to set up from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. and make this night memorable for them. And we're also in need of some more financial support. So if you'd like to help, get with us by calling the church office. Today, we're going to finish up John chapter 11 by talking about the response of men who refuse to take a good look at themselves. So turn your Bibles to John chapter 11, verses 45 through 57, because this message is entitled, Facing Our Shadow. Have you ever faced your shadow? And understand, when I ask that question, I'm not talking about when when the sun's at your back and you look and you see your shadow on the ground. I'm talking about that ugly part of yourself that you don't like to talk about. Now, it's a universal truth that the closer we get to God, the more we have to confront parts of ourselves that we would rather neglect, forget, or deny. Because the closer we get to God, the more we realize that we are not like Him. And in the light of God, He exposes our shadows. He exposes those parts in us that we don't like to talk about or think about. Everyone has a shadow. So what is a shadow? What am I talking about? Our shadow is the accumulation of untamed emotions, less than pure motives and thoughts, that while largely unconscious to us, they strongly influence and shape our behaviors. It's that damaged part of us that we don't want to face, and we certainly don't want exposed. Now, like I said, everyone has a shadow. So the question is, are you facing yours? Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been surprised by something you did or or said? Like maybe you just didn't know where that came from. For example, you reacted a certain way or said something out of character. You thought to yourself like, where did that come from? Much of the time, that's our shadow. Our shadow, it, it drives our behaviors and our thoughts that, that we, we don't know where it's coming from because it's, it's, most of the time it's unconscious to us. We don't, we, we don't know it. It's below the, 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 the surface. It's, it's subconscious. So another way to look at this is, is, is like this. You, you have unaddressed things going on in your heart. And, and, and it's an inevitable truth that sooner or later your heart's going to get stirred up. And when your heart gets stirred up, maybe somebody says something that strikes a chord with you. Whatever it's in there, it's going to come out. Like, for example, have you ever noticed saying something to your wife of, of the equivalent of, um, you know, you're just like your mother? You ever notice that never ends well? The reason why is because that statement stirs up her heart much of the time. And unresolved insecurity and emotion, it just comes out when things get heated. And, and, and that is what we refer to as a hand grenade, throwing a hand grenade. Well, you're just like your mother. You know what? You're as stubborn as your dad. Whatever. Aaron can certainly say that about me. But the reason why is because our hearts contain things, and when they get stirred up, that's whenever stuff starts coming out. You start hearing about stuff that you hadn't heard about in 20 years. You remember when you did this to me? Like, where is that coming from? It's our shadow. There are things in our hearts that we don't like to talk about, we just like to glaze over them. Jeremiah seventeen nine says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So here's a good question, Jeremiah. If the heart is deceitful and it's beyond cure, why should I attempt to address it? Why should I attempt to look at what's going on in there? If I can't fix it, what's the point? Well, good question, and I'm glad you asked. We need to address it 
for several reasons. First of all, if you keep reading in Jeremiah, not just take that verse out of context, you begin to get some valuable incentive as to why we should examine our hearts. For example, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. So in other words, God looks at our hearts and he gives us what is good for us. He gives us what our hearts can handle. And if we're going to seek God, God is going to bring out what's in our heart. If we want our blessings to improve, then we need to clean out our closets. We need to address raw, unaddressed emotions that linger in there. Deal with those insecurities. Deal with those hurt feelings. Deal with those memories that are in there that might be suppressed. And we should also face our shadow, not just because you know our blessings will improve, and we get closer in God, but uh, unless we do, we won't ever get what we truly want. For example, as an amateur anthropologist studying people, I've discovered that what women really want is to know that they're beautiful, and what men really want is to feel respected. Both of these communicate love. If you think that I'm beautiful, you love me. If you respect me, you love me. Now, the secret to getting both of those is to address what's going on in our own hearts, to face the shady parts of ourselves that we don't like to talk about. Listen to this, Proverbs 23, 26. It says, smooth words may hide over a broken heart, just as a pretty glaze covers a clay pot. In other words, we can walk around with broken, ugly hearts, and much of the time, all we do is we mask it with makeup. Now, women, you know that no amount of makeup or jewelry can cover an ugly heart, right? The Apostle Peter was wise to this when he wrote to women saying, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Why did he say that? Because it's not real value. That's not real beauty. He says, Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. It's of great worth in God's sight. Now, I, I, I know I'm getting off a rabbit trail. I just want to, you've seen pictures of, of women who are trying to stay beautiful and their, their body's age doesn't continue. It fades. Their beauty fades. And so they go and they start injecting their face and, and, you know, like they, they get all this plastic surgery and Botox and pretty soon they just look like a prune. You're like, that looks weird. That's not pretty. That's not okay. That doesn't look good. That's because that, that beauty is temporary. But the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, somebody, a woman who has done that work in her heart and brought out and exposed all of those ugly, raw emotions going on in there that they have a gentle and quiet spirit, that is of great worth in God's sight. And if God says it's valuable, you better believe it's valuable. Men, we want respect, but receiving respect is closely tied to our behaviors. Respect is earned. And if every time things don't go our way, or maybe even somebody just comes in and drops a hand grenade in there, and we throw a man tantrum in the floor, 
We lose respect in everyone's eyes, including our own. You see, our shadows, they speak to why we behave the way that we do. Why did I react that way? Why did I feel that way? And you might be thinking to yourself, well, if I was a pastor and I only work one day a week, I would have plenty of time to sit around and talk about, you know, looking at my emotions. But as it stands right now, I don't have time to sit around and talk about my feelings. Well, first of all, in response to that, you're welcome to follow me around for a week because I'd be more than happy to blow holes in your theory that I only work one day a week. Second, our feelings aren't stupid. What's stupid is to ignore our feelings. And third, you might think that you don't have time to do what I'm talking about, but in truth, you don't have time not to. Guess what? I spend much of my week counseling with people on how to address the mess that they have made because they were unwilling to deal with what was going on in their hearts sooner. Like, for example, this is not somebody in our church. I'm just saying an an, an example would be a a woman who marries a man because they were having premarital sex or something and, and end up getting pregnant and they get married and she always feels like, you know, their marriage is a sham and they only got married because of, you know, because of the, uh, you know, the, the, the child was coming or whatever. And, 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 and so she goes to a counselor and tells the counselor that, you know, my, my marriage is, I married the wrong person. And I don't even know why I did this. A great, great, great book on this, and I can't remember the name of it, but I'll, maybe I'll think of it as we're talking. But anyway, long story short, she, she tells the counselor, the counselor tells her, you know, the real question is not, why did I marry this man? The real question you should have been asking is, is why did I feel like I had to go around and have premarital sex? See, the, see, the issue is, is that we're not willing to face our shadows. And, and because we're not willing to, to face our shadows, we make a mess of our lives. And let me tell you, there's a point when our decisions, they cannot be undone. If, if we don't face our shadows, we end up wasting more time we sp- because we spend all of it cleaning up and paying for those mistakes. And some mistakes cannot be undone. We have to live with those for the rest of our lives. So you don't have to take my word for it. We need to look at a passage of Scripture. Okay, We need to go back and look at our shadows. We need to examine our hearts and see if we can figure out why we do what it is that we do. So we're going to continue our our study on the book of John, chapter 11, verses 45 through 57. And I want to see what, what happens, what happened, I should say, when these men refused to confront those ugly parts of themselves. Now, it's easy to hiss, hiss at the Pharisees, but guess what? we can find ourselves guilty of making the same mistakes that they were making. I'll show you how. Let's read John chapter 11. Let's start with verses 45 through 47. It says, Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done, talking about Jesus, they believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. Now, I'd like to point out first of all, I only have two points today, by the way, so maybe we'll keep it short. First of all, we have got to be willing to ask the hard questions. We've got to be willing to ask the hard questions. 
Now, if you remember from last week's passage, Jesus purposely waits two extra days before going and seeing Mary and Martha, and there's a little confusion on their parts as to what took so long. They said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Mary finds out that Jesus is there, she jumps up and hurries to Jesus, not caring who she brings with her, and a crowd of people end up following her. Now, these people that follow her get to witness something truly incredible. They get to see with their own eyes Jesus raise a man from the dead who had been dead for four days. But look what happens in verse 45 and 46. Therefore, many of the Jews who who came to Mary believed in him. They saw what he did, and they believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. They couldn't wait to go back and create dissension. And to be fair, maybe they weren't looking to create problems for Jesus. Maybe they were so deeply ingrained, it was just so deeply ingrained in them that they had to go to the Pharisees, go to this religious council of men, and, and basically have them to sign off on everything that they believed. They had to pass everything through them. Whatever the reason, think about the insanity of what they just did. This is the result of not facing one shadow. They just witnessed a man claiming to be God, raise someone from the dead, and they walked away from him? Listen, one of my worst fears is that I would lose my wife and my children in some kind of tragic accident, and I would be forced to walk this earth without them. If I found someone who could literally raise someone from the dead, I would never leave their side. I'd be like, um, Jesus, I hope you don't mind roommates because we're coming to live with you. It's insanity. They walked away. How do you find the source of resurrection and life and walk away just to go touch and tell a bunch of old men what Jesus did? I mean, why do you need them to sign off on what you saw with your own eyes? You start asking questions like that and you begin addressing your shadow. They didn't do that. Look at the next verse. Therefore, the chief priests and Pharisees convened a council, and they were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. Just try, just for a second, just try to picture the scene here, okay? Here was a large room, a large room, full of important, educated, powerful men discussing the situation. Let's throw another element in the room, okay? These men normally despised one another. The chief priests or the Samaritans, or, uh, or the Sanhedrin, I should say, they, they were made up of Sadducees, not Samaritans. They were made up of Sadducees. These were high priests from prominent high priestly families. They were those who were in power. And, and the Sadducees is like Washington, D.C., okay? They make all the decisions. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Pharisees were mostly scholars that tried to stick to Scripture, they couldn't stand each other because of their disagreements on how to address Roman power. The Sadducees worked with Rome, and the Pharisees hated them for it. Yet here they are, in a room together, getting along perfectly, because they had a common enemy. They hated Jesus. And try to think about this logically for just a second. You hate someone and claim he's not from God because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. Now, the train of thought is like this. You work on the Sabbath, then you break the law. You break the law, you're a sinner. If 
you're a sinner, you cannot be from God. But he just raised a man from the dead, something only God can do. So the logical conclusion has to be that this man is from God, right? It should have caused them to reconsider their assumption about the Sabbath. Jesus was teaching them over and over and over and over again. Listen, guys, you got this wrong on the Sabbath. This isn't, no, that's not the point of the Sabbath. No, 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 no. I understand what you're saying, but listen, listen, that's not the point. God didn't give the Sabbath for that. God gave the Sabbath for this. And I'm telling you, I didn't break it. And that should cause them to say, okay, wait a minute. This guy is able to back up what he's saying with, with miraculous deeds. They recognized his signs. But it didn't cause them to start asking the right question. See, they, they were asking the wrong question. They meant to ask, what are we doing? Not, why are we doing this? You see, this inward reflection should have caused them to question their motives for trying to get rid of Jesus. Their inability to face their own shadow caused them to fall into a greater sin, not only to kill Jesus, but to reject the offer of salvation, not just for you, but the entire nation and blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Now, we're really good at judging people's behaviors as a church. I say we're great at it, but we're terrible at weighing motive. For example, we can easily say that someone who shoots up a school or shoots up a church or, or beats their wives, that they're evil monsters. But here's the problem. The people that have done that, they're not monsters. They're still people. And as hard as it might be to understand, they had shadows. They had motives for doing what they did. Now, they were evil mixed up motives, but they were still motives. It wasn't the action that made that person evil. Their shadows are evil, and they refuse to address it. In other words, if you understood their motives, you would understand why they did what they did. Now, you wouldn't agree that what they did was right. Neither would I. But it would make sense to us as to why they did what they did. Now, regardless of what they did, it all boils down to this. If they had been willing to face their shadow, face their demons, take a good look at what was going on in their hearts and ask the question, why am I feeling this way? How does that measure up with God? They wouldn't have done those terrible things. You see, this is the process of God shining the light into our lives. He's shining the light on our sinfulness and exposing our ugly motives. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 3. He who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as being wrought in God. In other words, you don't hide from the light. You let the light creep into your life. And let me tell you, if you lived in darkness your whole life, if you couldn't see, then you, for the first time being able to see, would be incredibly embarrassed at what you saw. Because it's filthy. These Jews who had witnessed this miracle, these chief priests and Pharisees, they hated the light because of what it exposed in themselves. Jesus, being the light of the world, consistently showed them how wretched they were. And so they asked the wrong question. They asked what? But they should have asked why. Let's keep reading. In verse 48, it says, "If they look at this. 
What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather into the one the children of God who was scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together how they would kill him. Therefore, Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the country near the wilderness into the city of Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. And so they were seeking for Jesus and saying to one another, What do you think? He will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might seize him. Now, sooner or later, last point, sooner or later, our true motives will be exposed. Sooner or later, everything comes out in the open. Jesus said it this way in Luke 8, 17. He says, For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. The irony here is that these religious men openly announce their true motives, but for them, it seems like justification. They say, and get this, if we let him go on like this. Okay, wait, what? This is a prime example of jacked up theology. Do you honestly believe that you let God do anything? Okay, fine, these men didn't recognize Jesus as God, but it doesn't change the fact that Jesus just raised this man from the dead. If, do you really think, if he can do that, that you have the power to stop him? It's their shadow that is the problem here. They say, if we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So in short... We won't recognize Jesus as God and as the giver of eternal life because we don't want to lose our positions of power. This statement should have caused them to consider, why don't I want to lose my position of power? Even that they said that out loud, they should go, ooh, that was kind of ugly and gross, right? That I would say that out loud? But, but they should have asked the question, why is it so important to me that I be in power? Let's put it this way, they openly announced their motives, but if Jesus had come to him and said, you only hate me and want to get rid of me because you don't want to lose your sad amount of authority that you have, they would have ripped their clothes in anger. Yet here their motives are, are masked as justifiable. Scripture tells us that, that, that one of them, Caiaphas, the high priest that year said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for, you to, for one man to die for the people that the whole nation not perish. Now, did you catch what Caiaphas just did there? Now it's not just their own positions that they're protecting. No, no, we've got to justify this, guys. It's our entire nation that we're, that we're protecting from Jesus. It's really not protecting from Jesus. They're protecting from Rome, which in, in, in the sad irony there, if you study church history, they didn't even do that, that Rome came in and decimated them in 70 AD. So John includes that Caiaphas didn't realize that God used him to prophesy about Jesus. Now, at this point in history, the high priest was the means by which God spoke to the world. 
kind of like the Pope, if you, if you believe in that sort of thing. But I don't, so I'm going to move on. So God used an unwilling vessel to do his will. The man that was intent on killing Jesus, the man who led the lamb to slaughter, was the one God used to prophesy that this lamb would be for the whole nation of Israel, and not just them, but all who believe could be brought into being one, the church. Listen, only God can do that. Only God can take an unwilling messenger and speak truth. (laughs) Now, I did a little digging on Caiaphas, and I was a little surprised by what I found. Now, as you know, the Apostle John mentioned that Caiaphas was the high priest that year. What John doesn't mention here is that what happened to the previous high priest. The the priestly order uh, wasn't responsible for establishing the new high priest. Uh, Not anymore. You see, they were dictated by Rome who would be in charge. So, for example, the previous high priest, Annas, or actually his sons, first it was Annas, then it was his five sons, that he was deposed by Rome after serving for seven years as high priest. He was high priest, and everything was going well, but Rome came in and disrupted things, and Caiaphas became the high priest in 18 AD. He was appointed by Rome. Rome had the authority to put whoever they wanted in charge and allowed them the small luxury of maintaining legislative and executive power over the people, over over the Jews. But remember, they tried to execute Jesus, and they couldn't even do it on their own. They had to take him to Rome. However, Annas, the former high priest, had a lot of influence over the people. Even after he was deposed by Rome, the people listened to him. And guess who Annas' son-in-law was? Caiaphas. So if you want to talk about shadow, let's talk about shadow for just a minute. Caiaphas was a puppet of his father-in-law. He only dreamed of having as much influence as his father-in-law. You want to know how I know that? Because when the Apostle John talks about the arrest of Jesus, immediately after they arrest him, they don't take him to Caiaphas. They take him to Annas. John chapter 18, verses 12 through 14. Listen to this. So the Roman cohort and the commander of the officer of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Annas wasn't the high priest. Why take Jesus to him? Because he was still in charge, even though he didn't have the official title. Caiaphas was a puppet. Now, you know there had to be some unresolved emotions from this man. I mean, this, this man's heart, had there had to be something lingering in there, maybe some hurt feelings or some bitterness about that. He was supposed to be the guy in charge. Rome had appointed him. But he never had the influence that his father-in-law had. That only causes bitterness and dissension and jealousy and rage and, and just all those other ugly feelings that we don't like to feel and talk about. But because of his decision to pronounce the death sentence on Jesus, Jesus was no longer able to stay in Jerusalem. It says, you know, that he had to go to a different place and stay there. It's incredible. I mean, like, that he would pronounce this this verdict on Jesus, and now Jesus has to stay in Ephraim. I mean, the guy just raised someone from the dead. 
And they want to kill him? In verse 57, we see that they gave orders that if anyone knew his whereabouts, that they should report it immediately. How was it possible to completely miss the obvious reality that this was the Messiah? I mean, they saw his signs. Look again at verse 47. <coughs> this man is performing many signs. They saw his signs. They just didn't read them. Their shadow wouldn't let them. Their great sin, their great mistake was their inability to look inward and ask the question, why? And I honestly, you know, I can make this sound extremely simple, and it is extremely simple, but that doesn't mean it's easy. This is impossible to do without the work of God in our life. The work of God in our life is that we would want to take an honest look at ourselves and stand completely exposed before God, knowing, God, what's in my heart is ugly. But you say that you love me. You say that you have unconditional love. You see my heart anyway. And while I was still a sinner, you died for me. Each of us has a shadow. And it doesn't benefit us to ignore it. Our shadows, if left unaddressed, cause us to make foolish decisions just like the Pharisees and Sadducees. And guess what? We don't need to repeat the same mistake because of what it can cost us. Making an inward look, first of all, we have to do that and recognize that we are sinners so that we can receive salvation. But even, even now that we are saved, getting closer to God means exposing our hearts. So what does this look like, practically speaking? I know we're kind of running out of time, but let me just, let me just throw this in here. I'm going to give you an example from just the other day. You see, I, I studied this. I kind of learned this principle from a book, uh, Emotionally Healthy Leaders. And he talks at great lengths about studying and examining your shadows. This is something I've been trying to practice. Well, earlier this week, I went to shake hands with a young man. I said, hey, man, how you doing? And he just looked at me, and he refused to shake my hand. And at first I thought, man, you really going to hang? leave me hanging? That's not cool. Well, okay. Pat him on the back and turn around and walk away. But see, later that night I started to think about it. And I don't even know why. I mean, like... It started to bother me. And I mean, it even made me angry, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. I'm like, that little kid would not shake my hand. You see, I've been practicing this principle, and so I asked myself, why? Why does that make me angry? He's just a kid. Nobody's ever taught him. Why does it make me angry? And so I prayed about it. And you see, God revealed the answer to me. The reason why it made me angry is because I know that growing up, if I had done that to anyone, especially to my pastor, my dad, which was my pastor, but let's say he wasn't, my dad would have backhanded the snot out of me. He would have literally hit me so hard that snot would have flown from my nose. No, it, 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 it made me angry because my heart is ugly. If I didn't get away with that, why should he? That's my shadow. Listen, it's not fun to look at my shadow. I never said it was. It's not going to be fun to look at yours. But we need to call a foul when we see one. We need to allow God to reveal darkness in us. We must be willing to take a hard look inward with God and, and just allow him to transform us. Hand it to God. God, I have an ugly, wretched heart. Here you go. Did you know that's what godly people do? Godly people don't have beautiful hearts, at least not from the beginning. 
Godly people all throughout history, especially in Scripture, stand before God and fall upon His mercy and say, Father, forgive me, I am a sinner. I have a wretched heart. But if you will take the pieces of my heart, I know you can work miracles. Psalms 51.10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Another awesome thing about God is that He takes pleasure. Not only can He do it, He takes pleasure in transforming our hearts. So never, never be afraid to turn around and take a good look at your shadow. Because if God is for us, who can stand against us? It's certainly not our shadow. Because guess what? Light has come into the world. And where there is light... Darkness cannot stand. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.